Good morning. If you're a guest, uh, it's very evident I'm not Tom Richter, but uh, Tom's preaching and has been preaching in Kansas City in a conference, and he's going to be flying back to Huntsville today, so be in prayer for him. But this morning, I'm Scott Carlin. I'm the associate pastor or executive pastor here at First Baptist Church, and uh, it's a privilege to serve with our ministry staff. But this morning, we're going to look at John chapter 10. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. Now, I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago, and at that conference, the speaker who had written numerous books and done a lot of study, he explained to us that there are two sides of the brain. There's the left side and there's the right side. Now, the left side of the brain deals with logic and rational thought and problem solving. But the right side of the brain is your emotional side. It deals with relationships. It deals with emotions and feelings. And more often than not, we get locked sometimes in one side or the other. Many times if we get into a problem-solving mode or a situation we're trying to deal with, we get locked down on the left side of our brain. And maybe because we've experienced some kind of wound or there's something that's happened in our life that somehow we've kind of blocked it off emotionally, then we become unbalanced and one side doesn't really react and we relate to the other side. And oftentimes, many times, what the problems become or the people that bring themselves to the problems to us, they seem to become the problem because we haven't connected emotionally or relationally. Now, that, the reason that this is important is because fundamentally at its core, Christianity is a relationship. It's not a bunch of rules. It's not even just the Word of God. Even though the Word of God is foundationally and fundamentally important, it is first and foremost a relationship. You have to relate to Jesus emotionally and relationally if God's Word is ever going to penetrate your heart. See, the Pharisees knew the Word of God, but they had no relationship. A good illustration of this is every Sunday... Tom's amazing at this. He'll preach God's word, but there'll be a story. There'll be an application. There'll be something that he says that touches us in our emotional side of our brain that automatically then allows us to open up the left side of our brain and receive the truth. There's also a good illustration of this in 2 Samuel chapter 12. The backstory of this passage is David and Bathsheba, we all know that story. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. But then not only did he commit adultery with Bathsheba, he proceeded to have her husband Uriah killed by, a, by his general Joab. So David is on emotional lockdown. He refuses to acknowledge his sin. He refuses to deal with anything emotionally even though the rest of the nation knows exactly what happened. So God sends Nathan the prophet to talk to David. And this is in the passage of Scripture. You can follow along. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, there, are, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew with him and his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. 
Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, this man has done whatever he's done. He deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold. Because he did this thing, because he showed no pity. Then Nathan said, you're the man. And in that moment, David, who had been locked down emotionally, his heart was open and he was able to receive the truth of God's word. So much so that it brought him to his knees and his heart was vulnerable. He wrote Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2, and he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. See, David emotionally connected this story because David had been a shepherd. David had been a shepherd a lot longer than he had been king. He knew what it was like to hold a lamb. He knew what it was like to love a lamb. And this touched him at the very core of his heart. But when he he was touched at the very core of his heart, it opened him up emotionally where he could receive God's truth. This morning, I want to look at a passage of Scripture in John 10. And out of this passage, there's going to be some principles that I feel like will fall out of this passage that are very, very powerful. But my hope and my prayer is that you you will... Be able to connect to these principles on a heart level, on an emotional level, where God will be able to speak to you and open up your heart so that you can receive his truth. There's three things that fall out of this passage of John 10. The shepherd knows his sheep, and the sheep know him. The shepherd's provision for his sheep and protection for his sheep. The shepherd's heart for his sheep. You see, Jesus used... Sheep is an illustration of our relationship with God. Most of us have not spent time around sheep or shepherds. We don't have firsthand knowledge about how sheep live or how shepherds work. But the reason that John 10 has so much meaning is that we are a lot like sheep. So who are sheep? On the screen, there's going to be a list. Sheep are intelligent. Sheep are vulnerable. If a sheep falls over, they can't get up. It's called being cast down. Sheep are frightened easily. Sheep are social. But sheep are valuable. Sheep can't outrun or fight wolves, bears, or lions. It's interesting in 1 Samuel 17 when David fights Goliath. If you read that passage or remember that passage, you know, David said he fought the lion and the bear. When did he fight the lion and the bear? As a shepherd of his sheep. Sheep will overgraze. They can't control their appetite. So if that's what sheep are, see, Jesus makes the connection that sheep need a shepherd for the same reasons that people need God. So how are we like sheep? Follow with me on the screen. Like sheep, we are intelligent, but we need direction. Like sheep, we're vulnerable and we frighten easily. Like sheep, we're valuable to God and each other. 
like sheep, we have an enemy, and we can't outrun him or outfight him. And like sheep, we overgraze. We have control, trouble controlling our appetites. See, John 10 is a passage of Scripture that speaks to the core of who we are. In this passage of Scripture, there's power, there's assurance, there's hope. Jesus says in John 10, verses 1 and 2, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of his sheep. So if we know what sheep are like and we know how we are like sheep, then who's a shepherd? What do shepherds do? Well, shepherds care deeply for their sheep. Shepherds give their sheep 24-hour care. Shepherds name their sheep. And the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. Sheep stay primarily with the same shepherd all their life. When the shepherd isn't with the flock, the wolves come. Shepherds are constantly moving their sheep to the best pasture, and since sheep will not drink from running water, they look for water that is calm and still. If the sheep strays, the shepherd will spend as much time as needed or necessary in finding that sheep. In this passage of Scripture, one of the things that will help us understand what Jesus is going to say is that there were two types of sheep pens. The first type of sheep pen was in the city. It was a large enclosure. But the thing that was distinctive about the sheep pen in the city or the town was that there would be multiple herds of sheep in that sheep pen. And there would be a gatekeeper. And the shepherd would go to that gatekeeper, and because the gatekeeper knew the shepherd, he would allow the gatekeeper to go into the sheep pen, but then that shepherd would call their sheep, oftentimes singing over them because they had heard him sing over them all their lives. And they knew his voice, and he would lead them out of the sheep pen. So the first thing I want us to see is, The shepherd knows his sheep, and the sheep know him. Follow with me on the screen. Jesus says in John 10, 2 through 4, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep know his voice. Jesus goes on to explain this even further in John 10, 14, and 15. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Now, I want you to process this with me. This is one of the most profound things in Scripture, one of the most profound truths that's found in Scripture. Jesus elaborates on this a little bit further when he prays his high priestly prayer over his disciples in John 17. He says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, and you, that which you have given me. Now listen to this, that they may be one even as we are one. 
Jesus intimately knows his sheep with the same intimacy that he has with the Father. Now process that. To the same degree that he is connected to the Father is the same degree that he's connected with his sheep. The psalmist says in Psalm 139, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Jesus knows his sheep even before they're born. So what does this mean? How does this connect to our heart? He knows our past. He knows our present. He knows our future. He knows our failures. He knows our pain. He knows our infirmities. He knows our weaknesses. He even knows our addictions. He calls us by name. He knows us. You may be here this morning, and I dare say I know that there are some folks in here, me being one of them, that there are things about my life, my past, that I'm glad you don't know. We don't really believe in transparency. We all hide hidden things about ourselves. But do you know that Jesus knows? He knows. But not only does he know, he understands. But this leads me to the second thing about this. He not only knows us. He says in verse 4, they know my voice. You see, from the moment of birth, the lamb would hear the voice of the shepherd. The shepherd would sing over the sheep. The sheep would learn to distinguish the voice of the shepherd from all other voices. So how do you hear the shepherd's voice? There's really two things that are so essential in hearing the voice of the shepherd. There's the word of God and the spirit of God. They're two sides of the same coin. Or might even be the analogy, they're two wings of the same airplane. But the more you understand God's word, the more you have God's word hidden in your heart, the more you meditate and you memorize it and it percolates down deep in your soul, the word of God is actually the vocabulary that the spirit of God uses. But the Spirit of God will remind you of the Word of God and bring it to life in your life. It will bring it to light in your life as you face the different circumstances that you face. The Spirit of God whispers Jesus' name to us. But one thing you have to understand about the Spirit of God and how the voice of God is, what it's not. The voice of God... It's not condemning. It's not critical. It's not condescending. And if you hear a voice that has a whiff of that, 
It's not the shepherd's voice. It's the voice of the enemy. And you need to learn to discern the difference between the two voices. Max Licato in his book, The Grip of Grace, says, Satan sows the seeds of shame. If he can't seduce you with your sin, he'll let you sink in your guilt. Nothing pleases him more than for you to cower in the corner, embarrassed that you're still dealing with some old habit. God's tired of your struggles, he whispers. Your father is weary of your petitions for forgiveness, he lies. And many believe him, spending years convinced that they're disqualified from the kingdom. Two men, Derek Prince and David Wang, wrote a book about the Cultural Revolution in China. When the Cultural Revolution began in China, it was horrendous. There was pure persecution in a horrendous way all across all segments of Chinese society. But the area, the group of people that suffered the most was the church. They went back in and they interviewed literally thousands of Chinese. And the testimony was that if a, pastor, a person was a pastor of the church in China during the Cultural Revolution, they immediately were sentenced to a concentration camp for up to, from 7 to 17 years. And they found that three things were true about this group. Many of them went insane. There were also many of them that recounted their faith. But there were also many of them that withstood the persecution and came through. And the one characteristic of all those that survived the horrendous persecution that was part of the Cultural Revolution, you want to know what it was? They'd memorize God's Word. We hold the treasure here in our hands in God's Word. In God's Word, if we will take it into our heart and meditate on it and put it down deep in our soul, God will use it to speak to us. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. See, the good shepherd knows his sheep, and the sheep know his voice. But there's another thing in this passage of Scripture. There's also the provision and protection for his sheep. Look with me in verses 7 through 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And we'll go in and out and find pasture. But the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. What Jesus is here is describing the second type of sheep pen. Remember, he had the sheep pen in the city. Well, this is the sheep pen in the countryside. And in the sheep pen in the countryside, there was a walled enclosure built of stone. And there was a small entrance. And the shepherd would literally lay down in the entrance to the sheep pen to protect his sheep. So if the sheep were in the sheep pen, they knew the protection of the sheep from the wild animals that would want to come in and devour them. But it wasn't just protection. Then the sheep 
the shepherd would lead his sheep out of the sheep pen. He would lead the sheep to green pastures. He would lead the sheep to still waters because sheep won't drink from a running brook. He would lead the sheep out into the pasture but protect them from the wolves. And as those sheep were out in the pasture and they would get nicks and cuts and bruises, he would pour oil over their head and heal their wounds. See, this provision of the shepherd was protection and providing at the same time. So let's go back and look at how we're sheep. Follow along with me. <laughs> like sheep, we are intelligent, but we need direction. Is there anybody in here that really knows where you're going in life and you got it all figured out? If you do, you're delusional. <laughs> we struggle with being bad sheep. We want to go our own way, but we don't really know where we're going. Like sheep, we're vulnerable and we frighten easily. Do you realize in our culture that fear and anxiety are at all-time highs? It grips our hearts. There's the fear of the unknown, fear of the future. But like sheep, we're valuable. One of the foundational building blocks that you can give your children as a parent is to give them an atmosphere where they experience love and forgiveness. If a child grows up knowing that they're forgiven, it establishes a very foundational principle in the very core of who they are that they're worth it, that they're valuable. When Jesus died on the cross and he extended his hands, one of the loudest things he said from the cross is that you're worth it. You're valuable. You're valuable as sheep to him and you're valuable as sheep to others. See, like sheep, we also have an enemy. We can't outrun and we can't outfight. Paul said in Ephesians 6, 12, we don't struggle with flesh and blood. We struggle with principalities and powers and spiritual forces. They seek to devour us. They just seek to steal, kill, and destroy. The spiritual forces that are active in our lives and in this world, they want to destroy your faith. Do you realize what John writes in John 18, 6, when the Son of Man returns, what's he going to look for? He's going to look for faith on this earth. And the enemy wants to erode your faith where you will not believe in the power of God over your life. He wants to destroy your family. You're in a spiritual battle for the integrity and character of your family. You have to fight this battle, not in your own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
He wants to steal your hope. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to devour you spiritually and physically. What a physical picture of a spiritual reality of the fact that we need a great shepherd. Well, there's something else in this passage. It's not just how the sheep, shepherd knows the sheep and they know his voice. It's not, it's also here in verse 11 through 15, the shepherd's heart for his sheep. In Matthew 9, 36, Jesus looks at the crowds of people. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 9, 36. See, Jesus looked at that crowd and he saw that they were cast down. They were so beaten down by life that they couldn't get up. The word compassion in this verse conveys the idea that Jesus felt this deep emotion down in his gut. He was heartbroken. He was sorrowful beyond words. His heart was full of sacrificial love. So much so that if you'll read through this passage in verse 11 and verse 15 and verse 17 and verse 18, Jesus repeatedly says, I lay down my life for my sheep. In fact, in John 15, 13, he says, Greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. The ultimate act of this great shepherd of ours is he went to the cross and he died for us so that we could know him. I don't think there was probably any shepherd that ever died for his sheep in the first century Palestine, but Jesus died for us. This is what the heart of the good shepherd says over us from Psalm 91. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's the heart of the good shepherd. In conclusion, and I know you love it when a pastor says in conclusion. We're getting ready to land this plane. Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd in verse 11 and verse 14 of this passage of Scripture. That word good can also be translated beautiful. This morning, I want you to see how beautiful Jesus is. He's full of grace and compassion. Think about the way he provides and protects you. He's our healer. He heals our wounds. He redeems us. He comforts us. He's our guide. He's our banner. He's our Lord. He's our master. He's our king. He's our Emmanuel. He's our prince of peace. He's our Lord of lords. He's our king of glory. He is our great shepherd. That is who Jesus is. Behold him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Our great shepherd. 
In the fall of 1999, I was the BSU director at Louisiana Tech University. Some of you may not know what a BSU director is. I was a campus minister. That fall, we had a young man come from the Far East to be a student at Louisiana Tech. He didn't have any friends, didn't know anybody. We had some of our students befriend him and bring him to the BSU. He asked a lot of questions, didn't know anything about Christianity. In fact, his father was a Buddhist priest. One night after we had had our meetings and he stayed after, in fact, a friend of mine who was also a leader in the church that I attended was there, and the two of us introduced Michael to Jesus. It was a powerful, intense two, two and a half hour time. Michael struggled through a lot. It was one of the most, it's the most dramatic conversion experience I've ever, been, I've ever seen. He was sitting in my office, and he was sitting on the couch, and I had literally seen his countenance change as he encountered Christ and asked Christ to come into his life. And as he was sitting on that couch, he had his eyes closed, and he had the biggest grin I'd ever seen on his face. And I asked him, I said, Michael, what's going on? And I'll never forget He said, I see him. I said, who do you see, Michael? And he said, I see Jesus. He's so bright. I see him. And then he said something. He said, but he's got something in his hand. And I said, what is it? And he did this. He drew a shepherd's staff. If I ever doubted this stuff was real that night, God showed up in a powerful way that I believed without a shadow of a doubt. He is our good shepherd. He's our provider. He's our protector. He's our deliverer. He's our healer. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our King. But He is the good shepherd. I want to do something as I close. I want to pray the 23rd Psalm over us. I'm sure that most of you are familiar with this Psalm. You may have it memorized. And I would invite you to pray it to yourself or with me. It doesn't really matter how you want to do this, but I'm going to pray it over us, and I want you to pray it as well. And as you pray it, let the truth of God's Word sink down and touch your heart in a way that makes this come alive. Let me pray us. Pray with us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We have a good shepherd. His name is Jesus. Musicians are going to come. And the invitation is just that. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to connect your heart emotionally with the reality of the truth of God's word. I, I don't know how this message has spoken to you. But I guarantee you in some way, somehow, if you will let yourself, you identify as a sheep who needs a shepherd. We all do. We can't do this on our own. We just can't. And the quicker you admit that and throw yourself in the mercy and grace of, grace of God, the quicker, just like David, your heart will open up and you will experience the presence of the Good Shepherd in a powerful, powerful way. Would you stand with me? And as God leads you to respond, this altar is open, would you respond to Him?